Hello and welcome to the Rethink Missions podcast, stories and lessons from frontier missionaries to unreached people groups. If you are a church planter, aspiring church planter, or missions-minded believer, this podcast will challenge your thinking and encourage your heart. Here is your host, Jeremy Wardlaw. Welcome to this week's episode of Rethink Missions Podcast. Today we're going to hear the stories from Steve and Linda Rosengren. They're church planters among the Wana people in Asia Pacific. And today there's a thriving church there. There's actually three churches and they're sending out missionaries. Huge success. But before they experienced that as church planters, they had to experience unimaginable suffering. But God was faithful to them and even turned around their suffering for good. So we want to hear their perspective on how God can work through the most difficult circumstances. And we want to hear from Linda as well. Linda, you're a Bible translator, so we want to hear from you. What did it take and what does it take to be a translator? So maybe, Steve, you could set the stage for us. Where was the church plant? Okay, the people group is uh, Wana people in uh, Asia Pacific. They uh, were a people group of approximately 4,000 people, that particular language group. They were situated in the mountains, and to get to them, the fastest you could walk it or hike it would be 11 hours. And so it was quite a rough trip for the first first ones hiking in. It's tough. <laughs> it was very tough. <laughs> they started out carrying, I wasn't on the first trips, but they started out carrying their uh, cameras, their backpack, you know, thinking they could do that. Well, they ended up giving it to some little ladies that took over because they couldn't do it anymore, and they finally even gave up their cameras to someone else to carry them. It was just... Humbling, humbling. <laughs> yeah, can't even carry this. This little lady's going to help me get to the, yeah. to the village. Well, yeah, that is humbling. So about 4,000. Now, did they have much exposure to the gospel or to having the scriptures in their language before? They had nothing in their particular language. There were related language groups that uh, had something from when the Dutch were there, Dutch missionaries that had done that. But these particular ones did not have anything in their language. They did go to the coast uh, to get salt and then a few other supplies, clothes, sarongs, very few of them spoke the national yeah, language. Yeah, very few. And those that did speak it didn't speak it very deeply. <laughs> Not spiritual language at all. And uh, so they're, uh, they're, they were actually antagonistic to any kind of religion. They okay. Did, they did not want that at all. Right. So that's the start. Now today, what, what's the situation like? 
Uh, at least one third of all the people there are, are believers. Um, there are three major churches and then several uh, smaller churches mm-hmm. in different areas. That's amazing. And they're sending out their own missionaries. Wow. Three major churches, other churches, and sending out missionaries. That's incredible. So, I mean, that's quite a transformation from real no interest to now there. there's three thriving churches sending out missionaries. How, how long did it take to get to where it is now? From 1979, uh, we started learning the language. Um, two years later, we were just beginning pre-evangelism teaching. And at that time, the Lord took our youngest son home to be with himself. He was almost three. Hmm. And that, I would say, was a turning point because they had showed very little interest in the teaching up till that point. But they loved little Kevin, and he loved them, and they were just shocked. And when we came back into the tribe after after his burial and that, um, they... They thought because in their culture, they would just go somewhere. They would go away. And they thought we were going to just go home. So they asked us about that. Are you going to go home? And we were able to tell them, no, we're not, we're not leaving. The Lord has sent here. God has sent us with a message that's too important for us to go home. And then they started listening. And within three months, the had the first one, a man put his faith in the Lord. And it just grew from there. And now there's 2,000 probably believers. Wow. Wow. So that little, God planted a little seed there hmm. and just gave a huge harvest hmm. from that. And their hearts were humbled. Were and softened. Softened. And prepared for the message. They did not think that white people died. (laughs) So this was showing them something. The Lord was showing them, they're just like you. Mm. And they die too. So that was one of the things, I believe, that started opening up their hearts. You have to remember too that the chronological teaching that we do, the most we had was a, a mimeograph sheet of about five or six pages to work off from. It gave us the idea of how to go about it, and then it was up to us. And so that's why it was only three months, you know, till we had our first believer. Because mm. you had an idea of how you were going to teach starting in the beginning mm-hmm. and ending with the cross, but you had to sort of make that fit for the people group and the situation you were you were in. Yeah. Yeah. What a what a testimony that you guys went back. How yeah. how hard was that? It was tough. It was it's tough. You know, it had its moments, but we could. It's not really describable the peace that the Lord can give in that kind of a situation. And even though there were lots of tears and missing and hard days. 
the Lord was our support and we could tell what people were praying Mm. and he just it's just one day at a time Mm. sometimes one hour at a time Mm. and always clinging to the hope of the blessed hope that we have that Mm. this today might be the only day that we're separated Mm. he could come back tomorrow and every day you get up and it's the same thing it could be just for today and the Lord just walks you through it, just one day at a time. Keeping yeah. that eternal perspective. Yeah. He's coming back. Great to have that hope, that expectation yeah. of Christ coming back at any time. So it makes you just do one day at a time, waiting, <laughs> and doing what he wants you to be busy with. Yeah, I, I think back to when we first got to, to uh, where we were there in the country, when we first got there and started language study, and I remember after three months, I would got homesick. I wanted to go home and start, you know, driving the tractor in the field and doing stuff like that instead of studying language. It was very tough, very tough for me. <laughs> I'm a very slow language learner. But, uh, yeah, three months, and I was ready to go home. But it was great that we didn't have any money to go home. Lord kept us poor, so we couldn't do anything. <laughs> it was a real blessing. <laughs> he, he knew what you could handle, right? He knows what you need and what you don't need. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So could you give us a taste of the Wana language? And immediately our minds go blank. <laughs> Let me get something. Yeah. Imrukyako. Ta ta yao njo njo ojo matundari re magombo gombo. That sounds beautiful, <laughs> but you could have just made something up for me. I wouldn't have known. <laughs> <laughs> we could have, but we didn't. So, what was some of the hardest things about their language in particular? Well, I remember I remember working on one word is for cucumber. It's shui. Oh, we even had someone taught us language during language school come, and we asked him, how do you spell this? What, how are they saying this? What's this mean? And we have stuff like that that we couldn't necessarily figure out how to say it. And then words that are seem the same, you have a door, and you have uh, your muscle or meat, and... Uh, they, they sound the same to us, but to them, they they can hear a difference. They're written the same, and they sound. And to us, they sound the same. But when they say them to each other, they know exactly what they're saying. It's the same word, as far as we're concerned. Yeah. We, and the word for to fly, to leave, lazy. and lazy. <laughs> all it's miyoko, and that's what that's what we hear miyoko, but. They hear different. When they use them in context, they hear the difference. Our right. co-worker is still working on the difference, but yeah. he's getting pretty good that way. Yeah, but we don't hear a difference. They're all written the same. Can't even tell. Same vowel-consonant combination. Yeah. Might, yeah. might be glottals. Okay. Yeah. yeah. None <laughs> of us were linguists, so it was really hard to nail that down. Might be glottals. Glottals will get you every time, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, could be. <laughs> yeah. 
So that so that was a challenge. But then you you did get to a point where you. They know what we're saying by context, whether the word sounds right or not. Right. They they could. They've learned missionary ease really well. Yeah, they're, right. they're good at missionary language. But you were able to teach, and they were they were understanding. And uh, so, how long did that take to get to that point? Uh, well, it took two years. Basically. Two years of formal study. Yeah. Well, three years, but um, we had furloughs and stuff were going on there. Like you said. Forty years later, we're still learning. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Right. <laughs> and I'm a very slow language learner, so mine wasn't the best. Well, language. I'm I'm still learning English, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. The language changes, and I remember our coworker. Uh, I was with him and another guy, and and I I said something in the language, and the guy turns and looks at the other fellow and says, "What did he say?" <laughs> That's very humbling. <laughs> I thought I knew what I was saying. But <laughs> He's asking your coworker for a translation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So language obviously was difficult. What were some of the other challenges you faced? Uh, sending our kids to boarding school. Hmm. Um, that was... Uh, one tough one. As far as the living conditions, we were we were prepared for that, and it didn't take long for Steve to figure out a, a hydroelectric system. So he got a series of water like dams put in, and we had then we had a water power generator. So. We had electric lights and enough electricity for even a few lights down at the village and for our co-workers' houses. We had a freezer at first, but then eventually we got a fridge as well. So, you know, you adapt and make do and learn. Mm -hmm. But the amazing thing was some Wana guys, or at least one guy, he figured out how to make a generator out of a little bicycle generator, a little Pelton wheel made of fish cans, sardine cans, uh, and he, he was able to use that for and a pop bottle or something to make a. Oh yeah, the, just a water bottle stuck on the end of a bamboo, and he knocked the holes out of the center of the bamboo, and it came from a um, wet rice pond just not very high and he was able to get oh he used a um, a rubber boot you know for like mud boot uh, used a cut off of that for the pulley and the rest was wood and he ran uh, one little light uh, light bulb it was I think fluorescent it was light. sort of like a fluorescent but it was very bright and then he charged a, a battery with it. He figured that out all by himself. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, and, and we think we're smart trying to. Oh, yeah. And my see, dad thought he was good at chess. <laughs> and he, <laughs> he lost three times in a row to one of these guys, and it, that was humbling for him. 
to realize the genius that is yeah. there. Yes. That's incredible. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, and that's the reality. Often we can think of unreached people groups mm-hmm. living isolated, and we can sort of think that they're because maybe they have a uh, not a very complicated house or lifestyle that maybe they're not as smart, but they aren't. They are oh, geniuses. Yeah. They can yeah. live out of the jungle and with their own farms and planting. I mean, we can't do that. It's so cool. So this transformation, you know, where you went from unreached and even resistant to now a, a third of the people group is our believers. Um, has that changed? Has that brought about positive changes to the community? And in, in what way has that helped? Um, when, uh, when we went in there, we went in with, uh, you know, saying that we came here to help you to, you know, to uh, become more adjusted to life. And, you know, th- they were looking for riches. That was one thing that let us come in there was they were looking for riches to come. Well, we were bringing riches, but not in the sense that they were thinking. We were bringing spiritual rich, riches first. And those that didn't weren't believers couldn't figure out, you know, where's the, where's the riches coming from? Well, even because of the change of thinking and um, this, you know, the new... The new uh, system that, was, that we were bringing in uh, because we were bringing in medicine, we were bringing in stores and we are teaching them how to handle these things but then then uh, they they just started uh, getting what, what would you say um, their, their lifestyle rich, richer, you know, their lifestyle was yeah, their was lifestyle started up. reflecting better health and clothes uh, a little more prosperity. Mm-hmm. They, they, um, they did learn how to run. Some of them wanted to learn how to run a store, so we worked with them on that and keeping accounts and things like that. And yeah, different ideas for cash crops that they could do. So their their economy was was better, and their health was better, and. The infant mortality rate went went way down mm-hmm. because we did some teaching from fifty percent to almost none. Yeah, right? just a few here and there. Yeah, so we just brought in concepts like cleanliness and and the gospel helped too because a lot of the problems came from their superstitions and taboos and things that you know the enemy had them under all kinds of taboos and you can't do this you can't bathe a baby in the in the warmest part of the day you have to bathe a baby in the morning when it's cold you know and things like that and we as we were teaching them and once they had the lord in their life they they were able to let go of those superstitions cuz they weren't governed by fear anymore they yeah. could trust god and yeah and even th- problem solve for their own health and yeah yeah not let the taboos govern right that's such a common story you know how the gospel not only gives people 
the eternal hope, but it also improves their quality of life mm -hmm. here because they're they understand how life works. Yeah, you know, even medicine and that sort of thing. Yeah. And even copying um, what we were doing, um, their houses when we first moved up there were were like a thatch roof and woven bamboo walls and split bamboo floors. And we lived in the same kind, a little bigger, but the same materials at first. But after a year, you know, the rain started coming through the roof and we started going through the floors and <laughs> it was just time to build. So uh, we brought, um, brought, as a team, we brought some sawyers up from the coast to teach them how to First, they used a long saw with, with a pit, you know, or mm -hmm. stand, and sawed boards that way. And we brought a builder up to te to help build our co-worker's house. And then some a couple of the WANA guys worked alongside with him and learned that skill. So we had sawyers being trained and builders being trained. And then the WANA builders built our house. Wow. After that, and now and so and earned money that way. So they had a skill. Yeah, and they're now and sort they're of copying building. that, you know, on a smaller scale than what we needed. But um, now they use chainsaws. Yeah, and they can cut yeah. some nice wood, very yeah. straight. So <laughs> and and that would improve their health as well. I mean, because now yeah. your house is better sealed from the elements and that yes. sort of thing so you're getting fewer mosquitoes in mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. yeah so what was your guys's role on the team i was basically responsible became responsible for uh, medical as far as ordering supplies in and and getting the the medical to function where people could come and buy medicine and we keep track of it. And same thing with store. I, I did that with a store, too, more village development stuff. Mm -hmm. I was uh, responsible for extension of the airstrip. Um, so I was uh, doing a lot, of, a lot of physical work that way and with them helping, you know. Um, and teaching. And then teaching was what I basically went into. Mm -hmm. It was the the spiritual side of it was uh, teaching scriptural teaching. Mm -hmm. And I took over the job of translator in 1986. So that became your primary role. Yeah. Yeah. I so finished last year. All done. <laughs> <laughs> Not the whole Old Testament. The whole New Testament finished that several years ago. But last year we finished up the portions of the Old Testament. The New Testament was finished, all of it, and the Old Testament, all of Genesis, a lot of Exodus, and then the portions after that that go with the chronological teaching. That is amazing. Congratulations. I know that Thank is you. a endeavor to Yeah. Well, the whole team chipped in and helped out, and it was truly a team effort. Mm. Our co-workers, they, you know, they did their part, uh, Ed and Jean. Castile were our co-workers. Jeannie did a, a medical She did a, book. a medical teaching book and Bible a children's story. Bible story book and some primers, I think. And um, she also was a team bookkeeper. 
and Ed's did Ed's typing and stuff for him. Hmm. And Ed was a teacher. He was he was a mm-hmm. teacher. He was a real encourager too. Mm-hmm. I mean he. And he still, I mean, he still, still is. Yeah, still goes so, back twice a year. Yeah, and he, mm-hmm. but just his gift seems to be encouraging, and getting getting them to do things. Mm. <laughs> the guys team teach. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. So you prepared? Did you prepare lessons together? He basically did lessons, and he uh, used them from, uh, well, as. As Trevor McElwain was making new lessons, because that's what people wanted, we were just ahead of him all the way. It seemed like so. It was it was quite interesting. But you know, Ed and he had communications too with doing stuff like that. Trevor McElwain, just I don't know if everyone knows that, but that's he did the Paloano Church plant. Is that right? And I think, um, so. I think it was Paloano. It's in yeah. the Philippines, right? And started with Genesis right through to Christ, laying the foundation mm-hmm. for um, for Christ as our atonement sacrifice and kind of building that lesson by lesson. Yeah. And from that, it, I mean, the, the different tribal groups has been amazing the difference once that teaching system of teaching started. It's been quite phenomenal compared to what it had been before. Mm. So you saw people sort of kind of understand who Christ is and are some of those moments captured in your mind about when they finally understood who who Jesus was and I remember the, the first fellow see now I'm I'm doing it as someone that was kinda just ahead. We only had like five mimograph papers, so we're doing what we thought, you know, was the way to do it so we were following along what trevor had already shared and uh, i think it was got through the flood when god destroyed all of mankind except for the eight and started again and i could see the the guy i was teaching you like you know somebody's under conviction and uh, so i asked him well would you like to know how to get to heaven when you die and he said yeah i would so i started you know, sharing that, well, you needed a lamb to sacrifice. The lamb had to take your place. So they have them in town. They're like uh, 25,000 roops, which is, I don't know, for us wasn't a great amount, but for them it was a lot. And, of course, he said, well, I was going to do that. <laughs> so then I just shared, you know, that this lamb was God's son has already done that for us. And... He's died for us in our place. He's the Lamb of God, and he's—it's like uh, the Holy Spirit made it all clear to him, mm. and he believed it. And from what a change from what he was. Usually, I'd teach him, and of course, he'd get tired listening, and start getting kind of sleepy. After that, whenever I'd teach, he was just wide awake. It just completely changed him. And, yeah, his, his whole focus on life. He came by the house one day, and he was, he said, I was on my way to the garden, and this certain bird flew across my path. Now, before, 
that always meant you had to turn around and go home because if you kept going, something bad was going to happen. Um, what do, what should I do about that? And Steve asked him, well, what do you think? What do you think God wants you to do? And he says, I don't think we need to listen to that anymore. You, you see the Holy Spirit's working and the answers he, he would give without prompting what he should do. It's the Holy Spirit was working in their lives. What wisdom it would have taken just to ask him a question. What do you think, right? Mm-hmm. They don't yeah. want to put things in their in their mouth or in their thinking that's, you know, like, well, there must be something here. If you're asking, what are you thinking? And that was the Lord working in their hearts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Jesus asked, I think he asked more questions than he answered people, mm-hmm. which is yeah. a, a lesson to us. Yeah. What a neat story. Are there any other stories on just... In- I have one. <clears throat> the last time we were there, um, the little gal who used to help me in the house, um, she has a, a disabled child now. She and her husband had a little girl who got sick when she was a baby, and she's quite disabled now. And they had been living for a while at another village. Uh, her husband's a teacher, and school teacher. A school teacher. And some of the ladies down there, they're, they're nominally, they profess to know the Lord and that, but they're still hanging on to a few of their superstitions. And they came to um, Detin's house one day and brought two lemons. And they said, put one of these lemons on each end of the room that your daughter is in, and it will help keep the spirits away from her. And Detine was telling me this, and she looked at me, and she she grinned, and she said, Indo, I took those lemons, and I made juice. <laughs> <laughs> no, no more fears, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> so they're, yeah. So cute. That is cute. We had one time, it was still back in the beginning, and... Uh, this the first believer I was telling you about who uh, trusted the Lord. There, he his father was sick and dying. He went up. I mean, he tried to teach his father, who was sick at the time. Uh, so he, he believes he accepted the Lord. Believes he believed the words he was uh, speaking to him, and but then he died. Well, when they went to do the burial things, their culture that they would use. They'd wrap them up in bark, you know, a sarong around them, and then they'd put bark around them as a casket, just tie it shut. But they would take strings off of the this sarong, this cloth that they're buried in, and they would twist them and make a little bracelet out of this cotton cloth around their wrists and that was to keep the spirits of the dead person they had more than one spirits according to their belief that keep them from coming back and making them go crazy all of the family had to wear one all the family had until to wear they this fell off yeah until mm. the fellow brought it away well the this the new believer and and his cousin who the, his father had raised uh his cousin the um 
didn't believe they should do that. But then, I mean, some of these guys, they were really pushing them hard that they had to do this. But they just didn't believe they should. Well, one of the guys came up to me and, uh, could you come and help us and, you know, explain to these guys that we don't think it's right to do this uh, thing, a worship type of thing. <laughs> and, and uh, well, what's that, what's that supposed to mean? Well, it keeps spirits away from, that's what they believe. But we don't think believe we should be doing that. So I went, we went and talked with him about it. And, I mean, he was in tears. It was really affecting his the guy's cousin that came to talk with me. And so I went and talked with him a bit. And Ed talked with him. And finally they the guys let it go. They didn't force him to do that. Mm. So it's just one of the persecutions or sufferings that they had to go through for the gospel. Right. That family. Going against the culture is quite difficult. What, and we didn't even family. know about that cultural <laughs> thing at that time. We hadn't so, learned that yet. You know, it wasn't coming from us. You can't do that. You know, <laughs> the Lord was teaching their hearts. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. And, and I mean, what an immense pressure, too. That's not, yeah, the family is everything, right? Mm-hmm. And to decide to do something that's sort of against the family, that's a hard hard thing to choose maybe you could give us some final words of advice i mean there's people out there just starting off their ministries um there's people that haven't started or people who are thinking about going what are some words of advice uh if you if you want something that's not in vain you know, you think of Ecclesiastics, vanity of vanities. Well, that is nothing in vain about seeing people come to an understanding of truth to come to know the Lord and receive eternal life. That's something that's, you know, worth dying for. And, you know, it, a lot of people have died trying to reach these people that haven't, don't have any opportunity. So you have to go with that mindset that, Hey, I may die doing this, but this is what the Lord wants, and this is not something that's to be taken lightly. It's an eternal um, salvation for the people that you can get the gospel to. And one thing that kind of motivated me was thinking about these people in the jungle that have no opportunity to hear the word of God and be saved to receive eternal life, that you know, if I was out there, I'd want someone to come and tell me. Mm. So, yeah, it's 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 uh, it has real purpose and meaning. If people are looking for purpose and meaning in life, it's something they can give their life to, but not just halfway. Just give their life completely, mm-hmm. and let the Lord take care of things. And just walk with Him one day at a time, and don't lose your sense of humor. Hmm. Because you're going to mess up. You're going to get laughed at. (laughs) They love it when you mess up. And they're going to laugh at you, and you might as well just laugh with them. Lean into it. Yes. They're even relentless with their own people if they mess up talking or saying something. (laughs) (laughs) So a sense of humor is a very good thing to take along with you. Because it makes life a lot easier and more fun. (laughs) Yeah. Otherwise, you'd be miserable out there. <laughs> yeah. 
and always remember who your your best friend is if you're married hmm. and uh, keep keep that relationship with your spouse or and even with the coworkers our, our coworkers or our best friends hmm. out there and they still are hmm. to this day and just be there you're the only family that they have they're the only family that we had out there in the tribe so we celebrated their kids' birthdays they celebrated our kids birthdays and holidays together yes we we were family hmm. and that makes a lot of difference because it can be tough working together that closely so yeah hmm. maybe one last question so translation from start to finish how long was that our son said that um, the the New Testament took 21 years for me because mm. part of it was done after we had to evacuate right. to the state. So I was doing it from here. But he, he said, Mom, you were responsible for that longer than you were responsible for me. <laughs> <laughs> so from start to finish, I started in 1986 and finished up in last year in... 2018 so it it's not a job you're going to get done in a year or two Mm. so how did you stay motivated and what did your daily schedule look like when you're looking at a you did the math steve how many language (laughs) or no how many years is that oh for that whole time you said 33 33 years yeah yeah, I'm not good at math, but I think it's 33 years. <laughs> so, um, some days you get like a chapter done. Some days you get two verses done. It just all depends what you come up with, what challenges mm-hmm. you face in the language, or you you'll you'll look at a verse and and you'll think there's just no way to say that in this language (laughs) but then I kept having to remind myself that God would not create a language into which his word could not be translated Mm. so there has to be a way to say this Mm. you have to go around the bush several times sometimes to get a thought across but there is there will always be a way and sometimes he would wake me up in the middle of the night and the answer would be in my head, you know. So I'd get up and write it down before I before it, it leaves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wonder if could you read something. This is Psalm twenty-three. Um, and that is saying that Yahweh, the Lord Yahweh, he looks, he takes care of me like is done by a shepherd to take care of its, his sheep. That's why there's nothing that I need, that I'm in need of. That's amazing. That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been so encouraging to me, and I'm sure it will be to others. And, uh, 
Yeah, we'll keep that eternal perspective, whether we're here in North America or overseas, right? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Rethink Missions podcast. For more information and episodes, go to wmissions.com. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review and subscribe 